the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is the Bob Brand Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this, a free-for-all Friday edition, the 19th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2019. A lot of really good stuff to talk about today and a lot of good people to talk to coming up in about a half an hour. We're going to speak with a new voice uh, that I'm going to have on the program. His, uh, he's a Republican strategist from Texas, and that means he is right there in the heart of the matter as it pertains to the border crisis. And uh, very much looking forward to um, uh, speaking with him. His name is Vlad, uh, and the last name is sometimes tough, Davidiak. Vlad Davidiak. Yes, Russian origin. He's American, though. He's born here. Uh, and he's um, going to talk to us about illegal aliens suing the federal government. Have you heard this? Have you heard this yet as we start this Friday? Six illegal aliens are suing the federal government for $3 million each because of the torture they suffered being uh, detained at the border and separated from their children. Not kidding. They're suing over the separation policy, the policy that protected and defended their children from Lord only knows what kind of very, very dangerous adults in the detention facilities. They want $3 million apiece from the U.S. government. Do they even have standing to sue is question number one. And number two, really? The separation policy, which was enacted solely to protect the children, is what they're suing over. Vlad Davidiuk is going to be joining me at 9.35. Then at 10.05, a name that is a lot easier to pronounce and one that's going to be a lot more readily identifiable to you, the sage of South Central, Larry Elder, will be joining me at uh, 10.05 this morning. So I've got two great guests. 
And I've got all kinds of great opportunities to hear from you at uh, 216-901-0945 You can get me on social media as well. Tweet to me, Facebook comment to me, or parlor comment to me at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. All one word, no spaces and no underscores. What's the latest on President Trump versus the squids? I, I mean, the, uh, the squalids. Uh, uh, no, what are they, what are they again? What do they call them? Oh, the squad. Yeah, that's right. The congresswoman responded by going on Twitter and quoting a Maya Angelou poem. Omar was much more on the offensive. In fact, as she was trailed by a crush of media, the freshman lawmaker stopped in the middle of Independence Avenue to give an impromptu news conference. And so this is not about me. This is about us fighting for what this country truly should be and what it deserves to be. Omar went on to say this is supposed to be a country that allows debate and dissent and that President Trump is steering it toward fascism. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went a step further saying we are no longer in politics. Instead, it's racism, fascism, and dangerous. Wow. So many uh, layers to peel back on that onion mess. Um, Let's start with Jihad Omar proclaiming that this is not about me. Going to disagree with you there, Jihad. Um, It is 100% about you. And by the way, quit teasing us. She tweeted yesterday, last night, so good to be home. And I thought, she's in Mogadishu? Dang. She was in Minneapolis. All right, I, I guess. I thought she went back to Mogadishu. I thought maybe she decided to go back there and check things out when she said she was going home. Um, because that is where she is from. And considering the fact that she hates being where she lives now, I thought maybe she would want to go and experience that and see if maybe there's a you know a little bit more, more of a, a favorable reception of her anti-American statements, anti-Israeli statements, anti-Semitic statements, uh, maybe back in Mogadishu. I think it's, it'd probably be received better there in Somalia than here in the United States. But nope, turns out she went home to her home district, which is Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, and then she declared, it's not about me. No, Jihad, when you are the individual who argued for leniency and compassion for ISIS fighters in a letter to a judge, when you are the individual who voted to provide insurance payouts to family members of terrorists who die while committing terrorist acts, when you are the individual who blamed U.S. troops for killing, quote, thousands of, uh, thousands of Somalis in the Battle of Mogadishu back in 1993, when the truth is that humanitarian efforts were underway, when 19 Americans and, uh, were killed and 73 Americans were wounded in that Black Hawk Down episode, and you're blaming the American troops rather than the Somalis who killed them. And when you are adding to that message a hashtag, not today, Satan, thus referring to the U.S. and U.S. troops as Satan, when you describe 9-11 as being some people did something and expressing no regret for that, expressing no um, uh, anger at that, no horror at that, when you are on camera discussing Al-Qaeda in glowing terms with glowing tones, 
when you are on camera at a press conference this past Monday at the Four Horsewomen press conference, and you are asked if you condemn Al-Qaeda and you don't say, of course I do, what kind of question is that? Anybody who loves this country hates Al-Qaeda because they were responsible for the worst terror attack in the history of of, of, uh, the United States. When you can't even condemn, and then when you roll out a new proposal to boycott, divest, and sanction the nation of Israel, the nation you hate, the nation that you want wiped off of the map that you and your co-squid member, uh, Sharia Tlaib, believe is simply occupying Palestinian soil. When you try to advance the BDS movement with a resolution in Congress, literally, yesterday, I'm going to have to disagree with you when you stand there and say, this isn't about me, this is exactly about you. And you know what it's not about? Jihad Omar, you know what it's not about? It's not about your skin color. It's not about your ethnicity. It's not about your race. It's not about your country of origin. It's about the way you treat your country of the present. That's what this is about. And then there's Alexandria Damasio Cortez, who was also quoted at the end of that uh, uh, Fox News report that I just shared with you saying this is no longer about politics, it's about racism. She says it's about race. And anybody who condemns or criticizes her or the other members of the squids, Jihad Omar, Sharia Tlaib, or Anna Presley, is a racist. No matter how valid your criticism of their point of view, their platform, or their policy may be, You're a racist if you criticize them. And you know who agrees with that? Democrats. By way of a new survey. Are you ready for this? One-third of Democrats, 32% to be precise, so we'll round it to 33 and call it a third. One in every three Democrats in this country, at least by way of this Rasmussen poll, believes that any time a white politician criticizes a, quote, politician of color, then they're racist. Let's say that again. If you condemn and criticize a minority politician, even if only on their platform, their idea, their campaign promise, or whatever, if you criticize them, that's racism. A full 32% of Democrats believe that to be true. That's a view shared by just 16% of both GOP and unaffiliated voters, according to this survey. Among all voters, added together, 22% say that it's racist if a white politician criticizes the political views of a politician of color. By the way, 11% say that the term racism can only refer to discrimination by white people against minorities. Fortunately, 84% say that's crap. 84% say racism refers to discrimination by one pe- people of one race against any people of another race. But 11% say it's just white on black or white on minority. 
Well, what really is staggering here is a third of Democrats believe that minority politicians should be immune from criticism from white politicians. Their policies cannot be challenged without there being an inherent racist motive, according to this survey. That's a third of Democrats, three in every ten, a little more than that, actually believe that. If you're a white politician and you oppose raising taxes... You can debate higher taxes with another white politician if you wish, but you can't debate that with a minority politician without being racist. If Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says we should jack up the um, top marginal tax rate to 70% and you say you're crazy, that's stupid, that's bad for the economy, you're a racist because she's a minority and you can't do that. Is it starting to make sense? This is why... And I've been saying this on the air in Cleveland for the last 10 years. And that's going back to 2008 when Barack Obama was elected. This is why they nominated him. It's why he was so successful. Depending on a matter, I mean, that's a matter of speaking, depending on a matter of your, your perspective as far as how successful he was. But it's why he was able to do as many things as he, as he, as he was. It's why he was able to enact... For example, um, Obamacare, the Paris Climate Accord, the Iran nuclear deal. Barack Obama was able to really, really do some pretty bold, heady, dangerous stuff because if you criticized him for it, the default defense was, you're a racist. You don't disagree with the Iran nuclear deal. You just don't want a black president. You don't disagree with the Paris Climate Accord. You just don't like a black guy. You don't disagree with health care under the form of Obamacare and individual mandates. You just don't want to have this black person, this black president be successful because you're racist. He did it for eight years. For eight years, he wore his skin as a coat of armor deflecting the arrows of all critique and criticism. And now, one in three Democrats, 32%, say it should be that way for all politicians of color. Well, maybe not. Because what they have refused to address is all of the things that they have called and said about Ben Carson, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. The things that they have called and said about conservative black politicians and leaders forever. Uncle Tomming them, house blanking them, house inwarding them, calling them all of these kinds of things. And I don't care, you go back to Condoleezza Rice, you go back to presidential candidates like Herman Cain, you go back to governor gubernatorial candidates like Ken Blackwell. You go, I mean, you can go back to current, past, and, and, and pro, guarantee your future. Minority politician. Marco, what have they said about Marco Rubio? Who's every bit as Latino as Alexandria Damasio Cortez is Latina. They rip him up one side and down the other. It is not okay to criticize a minority politician as long as that minority politician is expressing liberal viewpoints. But what about COC? 
They're always concerned about protecting POC. They're always concerned about protecting liberal POC, which is persons of color. They don't give a rat's behind about COC. Conservatives of color are on their own. Open season on them. Fair game. This is what the Democrat Party has decided. That's why they're defending the squids. Omar, Presley, Tlaib, and, and Cortez. And they'll continue to do so on the basis of race because they cannot defend them on the basis of ideas. Such as Green New Deal, Socialist, uh, Erase Our Alliance with Israel, Help Wipe Them Off of the Map, Reinstate the Nuclear Deal, Let Iran Continue to Pursue Their Nuclear Weapons, because when they get one, they will literally wipe Israel off the map. They can't argue on the basis of their ideas, their economic ideas stink, which is why we have had such a massive growth in our economy, our jobs and our wages since Donald Trump took over from Barack Obama. They can't argue on ideas, platforms, policies, so they have to argue on race. And even that is going to come back to bite them, which I'll explain right after this. It's 922, the Bob France Authority, back after this on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, very short segment here as um, we uh, push toward the uh, bottom of the hour news. Again, we're going to talk with a uh, Republican strategist from Texas uh, about the border problem down there. Vlad Davidiak is going to be joining us after the bottom. But I was uh, I want to throw this at you real quick since we were talking about the squids. Uh, one of the lead squids, um, Alexandria Damasio Cortez, um, says she likes to debate. She appears to like to debate, but as Tucker Carlson put uh, proved last night and playing a little bit of her own self. She doesn't debate. She simply loses uh, debate points and then declares you to be violent racists uh, as a result. Like Ilhan, anyone who believes in the rights of all people in danger, and I think that she has a responsibility for, for that environment. <laughs> yeah. So disagreeing with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a physical threat, right? Nothing about last night's rally endangered anybody. The president never threatened or called for harm to come to members of Congress. He didn't call for violence against Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or anybody else. He just disagrees with them and finds them embarrassing and repugnant, because they are. Lots of people feel that way. The president isn't a fascist. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is. That's what she's doing when she calls other people's speech violence. She's justifying her own decision to silence them. If Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had absolute power, would you be able to disagree with her? What do you think? No, because clearly she doesn't think your opinions are valid. They're different from hers, so by definition they're violent and racist. She isn't just allowed to silence you, she's obligated to, if she believes that. And that's her perfect world. Shut up and obey. And if you criticize her the way you just did, Tucker, you realize what's coming, right? You, sir, are the racist. News Now. We'll talk to um, Republican strategist Vlad Davidia coming up next right here on, on ESPN or on uh, AM 1420, The Answer. All 
935 as we continue on AM 1420. The answer, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. All right, are you ready for this? You know, we know about the crisis on the border. We know about some of the numbers, but not all of them. But this this just might be the height of the absurdity. For now. Uh, for now. Give it time. You know, the Democrats still have control of the House until 2020 when it will inexorably be given back to the Republicans after this insanity of these uh, couple of years. Uh, so there will be more absurdity to come. But for now, this is the height of the absurdity as it pertains to the border crisis. Illegal immigrant families, six of them, are suing the federal government over the family separation policy that was in place when they were detained. What do they want? $3 million each. Why? Because they say they have to pay for counseling and medical care to heal from torture. No, this is this is the word they're using. They were tortured. They violated American sovereignty, broke American law, came onto American soil without permission, and when caught and detained, they now want $3 million for being tortured because they weren't kept together with their children. Joining us now to analyze that and make a little bit of sense about the crisis from the border is a Republican strategist from the great state of Texas. So he's right down there in the thick of all of this, right there on a border state. Vlad Davidiak joining us now on uh, AM 1420, The Answer. Vlad, good to talk to you, sir. How are you? Hey, doing well. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. All right. So um, tell us what you know about this lawsuit. Tell us, tell us exactly who is behind this, these six immigrant families suing the Trump administration. Well, look, um, these, these, these families who are suing the Trump administration, who are suing the United States government uh, for, for enforcing American laws that they broke, um, are, are being used by activist uh, groups that are intended, intending to disrupt American law and basically circumvent enforcement of American law um, by intimidating the federal government with these lawsuits and, and grinding the process to a halt. Uh, do we know who these groups that, are by, uh, by name, Vlad? Do we know who so some of these uh, pro-illegal immigrant or pro-immigrants rights groups are that are uh, essentially behind this lawsuit? Because these families, sure. uh, they didn't take this ACLU up on their own. In, yeah, ACLU's involved. Um, there's a couple of other groups that are involved that, that uh, advocate for, quote-unquote, social justice and um, humanitarian purposes. Um the, it's the it's the regular list of suspects uh, that we typically see working against uh, American interests and furthering the cause of a globalist agenda, uh, trying to upset the entire concept of American sovereignty and putting uh, illegal immigrants first in front of American citizens. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the lawsuit. What are they? T- what are, you know. <laughs> It, 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 this entire thing about family separation to me was so blown totally out of proportion because the Democrats were looking to score political points on the basis of emotion and feelings and saying, oh my gosh, mommies and daddies had their babies ripped out of their arms. As if to say that there was some sort of malicious intent here by the Border Patrol policy and by the Trump administration policy. What would have happened, Vlad, if those children had not been separated and if those children were kept in adult uh, detention facilities with Lord knows how many in these mass Massively overcrowded centers, these massively overcrowded detention facilities, um, containing 
any number of dangerous people, from drug cartel members to human traffickers to MS-13 gang members uh, to just, uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, uh, uh, sexual offenders and, and serial rapists. We know that some one in seven women in the caravans are reporting being sexually assaulted by other members of the caravan. What would have happened if these children had been exposed to all of those dangerous people and then somebody done something to them? Look, that would have been a tragedy that would that would then have just made the situation even worse. The fact is that every single child who's separated from the parents uh, is a victim. Um, and the fact that every single child who is put in one of these detention centers suffers trauma. The fact is that that, that victimhood, that trauma, is not uh, something that should be blamed on the federal government or the American people or the American Constitution. Um, these people uh, coming up north from the southern from the southern countries into trying to cross into the United States illegally mm-hmm. are placing their own children into jeopardy. They're placing their families at risk. Uh, they're placing the safety and, and security of American citizens at risk by creating these uh, crisis points at our southern border that invite criminal activity, that invite um, what what the uh, Customs Border Protection has already identified as people who are identifiable as uh, potential terrorists. Um, it, it's creating a situation where uh, a tragedy uh, not only is likely to occur, but has already occurred. Um, the United States has a responsibility to maintain the sovereignty and security of the border, and these parents who send their children to eat, sometimes unaccompanied, sometimes with coyotes, sometimes uh, being paid money to, to rent their children so that people can cross the border and with, with, a, with, with a child in tow to guarantee them a, a possibility of uh, asylum are, are placing not only their families but American citizens at risk, and it, it's unconscionable. It is exactly that. Uh, we are talking with Vlad Davidiak. He is a Republican strategist uh, down deep in the heart of Texas, a border state. So he's got uh, firsthand knowledge of what goes on down there and how dangerous um, you know, this situation really is, the crisis really is. Did you get a chance to listen to Kevin McAleenan's testimony yesterday? Uh, and what did you make of the tone directed at him by the Democrats uh, who are questioning him on that committee, essentially demonizing 10,000 Border Patrol agents as being careless, careless, heartless, uh, and and almost sadistic in their treatment of um, overwhelming. I can't even say the word. There's got to be a better word than overwhelming when you have, you know, 125,000 people uh, being detained in a place that's built for 15,000 people. These kinds of numbers are simply unfathomable. And they demonized the the performance of the Border Patrol agents yesterday to Kevin McAleen and putting him on the defensive. Uh, Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, And and what's what's truly... Um, disheartening about this is that these same Democrats who were vilifying uh, American border security and American law enforcement were absolutely silent during the Obama regime. Um, uh, The Obama administration put kids in cages, they separated families, they deported millions of people, and we didn't hear a peep from the Democrats. Uh, President Trump and the Republicans come into office to enforce American laws, to re- to reinvigorate American border security, to uphold the concept of American sovereignty, and detention centers are labeled concentration camps. We have members of Congress uh, actually going across the border into Mexico to coach immigrants, to 
potential immigrants on how to circumvent the American uh, legal process. Mm-hmm. We have members of Congress standing outside fencing at detention facilities, staging photo ops, acting as if something terrible is happening inside. We have members of Congress attacking law enforcement, demanding the abolishment of ICE. Uh, the, the, the fact is that the, the Democrat Party and their radical leftist allies have seized and latched onto this particular issue as a pivot uh, point and a talking point to, to pivot away from their failures to uh, not only solve the problem, but from the, failure, from the failures to offer any comprehensive solutions. And they're using it as a, as a, uh, a, a bargaining chip, as a political pawn to try to get their radical agenda passed. There is little doubt of that. Um, I want to speak to one other element of this, and this is since the, since these lawsuits by the six immigrant families over are over family separation. How do we define family down there? Because um, Representative Carol Miller uh, from West Virginia, Republican West Virginia, yesterday asked about the problem that we know of, Vlad, of adults using children as a ticket to be released into the interior of the United States, oftentimes not using their own children. In fiscal year 2019, the Department of Homeland Security, Miller said, uh, identified nearly 5,500 migrants presenting as family units that turned out to be fraudulent. So you got adults taking kids who are not their own across the border, trying to use them as a family, um, you know, a ticket to, uh, to release. And oftentimes, again, these kids are being trafficked. They're either being sold by their own legitimate parents or they're being kidnapped and sold, uh, into the hands of these mules and these cartel members and so on and so forth. If we don't know what family really is down there, how can we be certain? How can we not take these kids and protect them? Because they may be in the hands of people that, that mean them no good. Well, it's it's even it's, it may be even worse than that because um, a, a study that was released indicated that at least one third of those people who are presenting as family units, um, when their DNA is is tested and, and uh, verified, uh, it turns out there is no relation at all. Um, and then the problem that we have is once those children are here at the southern border or in the United States. There's no means, there's no methods to determine who they actually are unless people come forward. So what winds up happening is we have these families, uh, these, these groups where the adults are separated from the children. The children have no connection whatsoever to the adults who brought them over, and there's no way to determine uh, which adults could credibly be uh, entrusted to be their guardian. Um, so we wind up waiting, having to wait weeks or months for adults who are either in to the South or already in the United States to show up to help claim these children and to try to find uh, a safe place for them to be. Um, these people who come up from the South who, who either bring their children with them or let people borrow their children to act as a ticket into entry or who send their children unaccompanied are not only placing their children at risk, they're straining government resources. They're straining American taxpayer resources. They're pl- placing uh, a huge amount of strain on the border. They're placing uh, American citizens and American communities at risk because it increases the traffic of not only people but uh, dangerous drugs and uh, uh, criminal activity through those communities. 
Vlad Davidiak uh, joining us from Texas. He's a Republican strategist down there. He's right in the middle of all of this. There's a lawsuit that's been filed by six immigrant families uh, and pushed by the ACLU and other uh, immigrants' rights groups and uh, illegal immigration rights groups and so on and so forth, suing for $3 million each because of the family separation policy that was put in place to protect children when nobody knows whose family they really belong to. Vlad, I really appreciate it. Uh, I know you got a lot going on down there in Texas. Uh, the situation gets worse. The crisis gets worse. Uh, and I hope we can check back in with you as uh, the situation develops further. I'm certainly looking forward to it, Bob. Thank, thank you so much, Vlad. Vlad Davidiak joining us right here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 948. We'll take a quick time out here. We'll come back and try to squeeze in a call or two before the top of the hour. After the top of the hour, you're in for a treat. The Sage makes his return to the Bob France Authority. Larry Elder will be joining us at about 1010 right here on AM 1420, The Answer. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, if you would like to get in on this Reef-for-All Friday on any of the issues that we are talking about, do it now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110, because coming up at 1010, roughly, we are going to have Larry Elder, the sage of South Central. He's got some thoughts on this race story that I told you in the first half hour. One in three Democrats say that any white politician who criticizes a minority politician, a politician of color, is racist. That essentially makes Alexandria Damasio Cortez, Elhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, um, uh, Jihad, uh, or excuse me, uh, uh, Sharia Talib, makes them all immune from criticism, which is kind of interesting. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris as well. Do not criticize them if they come for your private health insurance. If they come to take away your rights, if they come to uh, take away your uh, uh, your job. Uh, which is a very, very legitimate possibility given what they want to do uh, with the Green New Deal. They have all signed on to AOC's Green New Deal in some fashion, form, or another, wiping out so much American industry, replacing it with only uh, uh, with uh, renewable energy sources. If they come for all of those things and you say, wait, 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 that's a terrible idea. Well, that's not a terrible idea. You're just a racist. You're just a racist. That's the way that it comes out. And that's exactly what uh, so many believe, and they are, of course, being fed this. Uh, well, not really fed. It's, it's kind of a two-way street. Mostly, the media reports this for them. Uh, another huge story about the, the liberal hypocrisy of the American left. Bernie Sanders has been the champion of the fight for 15, right? You've heard this for, what, at least five years now? He ran for president four years ago. Well, almost for, counting the... Counting the uh, um, campaign cycle and the primary cycle and so on and so forth. You've been hearing this for about five years from Bernie Sanders. $15 an hour minimum wage. Bernie says that every American deserves a living wage. And that's got to be $15 an hour. Never mind the fact that the Congressional Budget budget Office said that if the federal minimum wage was, ra- wa- uh, wage was, ra- wage was raised, that's not easy to do, um, to $15 an hour, some 3.7 million Americans would lose their jobs. They'd be fired. So some Americans would see a slight pay increase. But 3.7 million Americans would see a 100% pay decrease because they'd be fired. 
Because small businesses, which are the engine that drive the American economy, are the ones that hire the most people. And if they have to jack up their uh, minimum wages to $15 an hour, they will not be able to afford their overhead. They're going to have to do one of three things. They're going to have to close down their business. Or, number two, if they choose to keep their business open, they're going to have to jack up their prices to the point where nobody can afford to pay them, and then they lose business. Or, number three, they're going to have to lay off employees, fire employees to pay the ones who remain, and then the ones who remain are going to have to do way more work, too, by the way. So Bernie wants to fight for 15, right? And I think we can just file this one under um, what is good for thee is not for me. Because Bernie's campaign staff in his run for president has unionized. And Bernie's unionized campaign staff is calling him out, demanding $15 an hour plus 100% paid health care for each of these staffers working on the Sanders campaign. The Sanders campaign staffers are, are paying, or excuse me, are working in excess of 60 hours a week, according to the Washington Post. And they are not making anywhere near $15 an hour. They have approached the campaign manager with their demand for $15 an hour, in keeping with, of course, what they're fighting for as they defend and try to advance the cause of the socialist Bernie Sanders. The response from the Sanders campaign, you're already being paid the same as what other campaigns pay their staffers. We are paying our campaign staffers a rate that is commensurate with other campaigns. We're doing it right. But wait a second. What do you mean you're paying commensurate with what other campaigns pay? That isn't the standard here. You declared the standard must be $15 an hour. Every American deserves a living wage, right? Everyone, every, everyone deserves their health care paid for and their $15 an hour. But the draft letter uh, that uh, was sent to the Sanders campaign from their unionized staffers estimated that field organizers working 60 hours per week at minimum uh, are making less than $13 an hour. Many field staffers are barely managing to survive financially, which is severely impacting the team's productivity and morale. Some field organizers have already left the campaign as a result. Field organizers, by the way, are the lowest caste in politics, apart from unpaid volunteers. People oftentimes in their 20s, out of college, who don't have jobs, who uproot themselves and move to far-flung parts of the country to work long hours and gain campaign experience in high-stress environments. And then, of course, these people, because they're not making enough money, can't pay back their student loans, which leads to Bernie Sanders and the rest screaming for uh, 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 student loan forgiveness. But Bernie Sanders, the champion of $15 an hour, is refusing to pay his staffers at least $15 an hour. Uh, and he encouraged, by the way, he encouraged these staffers, you know, as they joined his campaign, to unionize. He's trying to make it look as though, look, at you know, I, I practice what I preach, except for when it comes to paying them the wages that they want and, and that you promised and the uh, benefits that come along with it. So Bernie Sanders, the height of hypocrisy, laying it all out, uh, and his, uh, his, his staffers calling him out, and we'll see if the next round of debates, CNN has already picked the debate lineups for the two different debates. Let's see if the other uh, ca- uh, candidates in the 2020 cesspool go after him for this. Let me squeeze a call in here before the top of the hour. My apologies for the delay there, Eric. Sometimes I filibuster. It happens. Go right ahead, sir. Uh, uh, that's all right. Uh, uh, the gentleman yields the floor. Um, uh, <laughs> Thank you, sir. This, this actually happened to me. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth. I'm white. 
guy I work with is black. We got along really well. 2008, Obama gets, 2008, right? Obama gets elected, right? That's correct, right, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, uh, He says to me, people who didn't vote for Obama were racist. I said, we, I didn't say me, but I said we. We didn't vote for Obama because, not because we're racist, we didn't vote for Obama because he's a liberal. My friend says, Obama's not a liberal. And I said, well, if, I said, you're liberal. If you're, if he's not liberal, why'd you vote for him? And my friend says, because he's black. <laughs> that did not happen. You wrote that. You wrote that, made that I, up. I can't. And, and what he meant was he wasn't not going to vote for the first black president. You know, the first black candidate with a chance to win. And, well, uh, what's the difference? At the point, it doesn't matter what his reason yeah. was. He just said he voted for him because yeah. he's black and called you a right. racist for voting against him uh, because yeah. he's liberal. If you were to say to him, yeah. I voted for McCain because McCain's white, what would it's that have white, made you? Right. That would have made you yeah. the pointy hood wearer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The hypocrisy well, is so thick. I know. I, they, they, don't, they don't realize they're, they're on the left. They think they're mainstream. So, no, of course Obama's not a liberal. But, oh, yeah, it, 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 that's when I got a feeling that things were taking a weird turn in this country. Well, they've taken a weirder turn than that since then. Eric, I thank you so much for the phone call. Let me get out so I can make room for my friend, black guy, Larry Elder. He joins us next right here. On the- Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.